Russian troops are moving into the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv today as they prepare to strike at the heart of the country and its political power. At least 137 Ukrainians have been killed since the invasion began early yesterday. In response, the U.S. and other NATO nations have issued economic sanctions. Here's President Biden speaking about what's at stake in Ukraine. The next few weeks and months, we hard on the people of Ukraine. Putin has unleashed a great pain on them. But the Ukrainian people have known 30 years of independence. They've repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. Around a million Americans trace their roots to Ukraine, including WBEZ education reporter Anna Savchinka. She moved to Chicago last year. Her father lives in Kyiv, and she joins us now. Hi, Anna. million Americans are of Ukrainian descent, and we turn to check in with one close to home. Anna Savchinka is a Pointer Coke Media and Journalism Fellow and an education reporter for WBEZ. She moved to Chicago from Ukraine less than a year ago. Her father still lives in Kyiv. Hey, Anna. Good morning. So, um, you know, we mentioned your father is still in Ukraine. Who of your family is, is still there? And, and what have they told you about the attacks yesterday? So my dad is uh, in Ukraine. So is his brother and his brother's wife. Um, also, a lot of family friends that are scattered across the country. Um, there's been a lot of fear. Um, it's been a hard time. Everyone is com- trying to communicate, sending each other messages, just telling each other that they're thinking one another. And, you know, right now everyone's functioning in in survival mode. And although there are many people that are choosing to stay in Kiev right now, for example, my dad and um, his brother and his wife, they're currently trying to get out of the city. And um, it's been... It's been hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would imagine that um, it's very difficult to kind of try to keep track of everything. Uh, Are are they safe right now? Yeah. So right now they are, as we speak, they're driving to Lviv, which is west of Kiev, and it's close to the border of Poland. I'm not sure whether they will be or what their next move is going to be from there. Um, But right now with all the news of... Uh, the capital being bombarded, um, it's probably safe, safer for them to be leaving um, than to be staying put. Yeah. Well, what has life been like for them in recent weeks as, as Russia stepped up its military presence all along the border with Ukraine? Well, they've kind of been suspended, suspended in this limbo of, of tension where on one hand, they're following all the news and they're being told to prepare to to pack their bags and to be ready to flee at any moment. But at the same time, every Ukrainian that you ask, they will tell you that they love their country dearly. And none of them wanted to go. None of them want to even be leaving mm-hmm. now. They want to be staying put and supporting everybody as as much as possible. So there definitely has been kind of this push and pull between wanting to to stay and support everyone and and just wanting to leave and just yeah. be in safety um nobody wants to wake up to the sound of bomb explosions yeah. but that has been the reality for millions um in the last two days yeah yeah well and it's and it's just uh I mean, it must be surreal. You know, some experts, including one we talked to on Reset as recently as Monday, 
said they did not think Russia would invade Ukraine. Um, Now we know that calculus was way off. Uh, How concerned were some of your family members, particularly in recent days? They've had this very imminent feeling that it was coming. Um, There was a lot of information that was being pushed through news outlets that an an invasion was going to come on a given day. Then that never happened. And then the date got pushed back and... It's just been just been waiting and waiting. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they've actually said that the waiting part, just the part of Mm. not knowing has been the worst. Yeah. Um, Now Mm. that things have started, there's at least some clarity in terms of, you know, what Russia's intentions are. Um, And that makes it a little easier to plan your next steps as just a, you know, uh, everyday citizen. Um. But before that, there was just this immense uncertainty that yeah. just I don't know, a lot just, of anxiety. I'm I'm sure just freezes you in your spot. Yeah. Well, you know, at the same time, you've been keeping in touch with your family at home. You've been gathering reaction from Ukrainians here in Chicago on the attacks. What have you heard? I've been reporting on this since since January. So back then in January, there were threats and people were scared. But it doesn't compare to the fear that they're feeling now. Um, Back in January, some people that I spoke to who said they had family still in Ukraine, they were thinking of leaving. They were thinking of just packing their lives up here in Chicago and going back to Ukraine mm-hmm. to either help their their uh, help family, help help grandkids, or whatever it is. Um, now they're just paralyzed with fear. Um, many of them feel helpless because the only thing they, I mean. They, they're they're calling they're calling their relatives they're expressing their love they're expressing their support uh they're they're trying to do everything that they can but it is you know kind of a central part i guess or a core part of the immigrant experience that you mm. know when something like this happens and you're in a country a continent away you just feel this helplessness and you're compelled to act because you're outraged by what you're seeing, but you just try to think what that action could be and mm-hmm. you come up short sometimes. And you spoke with uh, a Ukrainian here in Chicago um, and he said something that resonated with you. Yeah, so a lot of the conversations that I've been having have been very, very dire, very emotionally heavy, Um but then there will be little moments, little reprieves where somebody will say something really hopeful, like this man, Yuri Soroka, that I uh, met yesterday at a rally. Um, and, you know, it will just put a smile on my face. Let's take a listen. Believe me, Ukraine, Ukraine's name will be written in history as the country that stopped Russia. And I can't imagine how challenging it might be to report from afar on your home country coming under attack, um, what has that been like for you? Well, it's me coping with that helplessness that I've been I've been talking about. I do feel like my hands are tied behind my back. So what can I do from, from, from afar? You know, I was covering a rally uh, at 7 a.m. that Ukrainian Americans held uh, at a, on, a, on a bridge, uh, on a crossway that crosses a busy highway mm-hmm. and they were doing that so that people could stop on their way to work, um, wave a Ukrainian flag for a little bit and kind of keep going. And as I was going to the protest, I, I called my dad 
um, to to check up on him and ask how he's doing. And I told him that I was going to cover this protest. And he's like, why are you going? What, how is this going to impact what we're going through in, in Kiev and in Ukraine? And, you know, when he said that, I was I was pretty upset. But then after talking to Yuri and just seeing people smiling throughout this situation, seeing people actively choosing hope, choosing to be hopeful, that has filled me with hope too and definitely made me feel like there is something that I can contribute uh, right now and that is providing people information in Chicago mm-hmm. and humanizing the story as much as I can because we've we've been talking about uh, Ukrainians in Chicago in the context of war but these are human beings mm-hmm. that existed before the war. They will still have lives after the war yeah. is over. Yeah. Well, how do you think Chicagoans can help support Ukrainians living through this attack on their home? Um, standing in solidarity, um, whether it's sending a text to someone expressing their concern and telling them you're thinking of them, um, attending one of these rallies. There are multiple that are going to be staged uh, over the next couple of days. There's going to be a major one on Sunday outside uh, St. Vladimir and Olga Church in uh, Ukrainian village, um, calling on local government officials to to take action. One, one of the biggest frustrations that the Ukrainian community here in Chicago has had over the last month or since they've been um, advocating for American support since the beginning of January is that the U.S. hasn't taken the strong measures that they need to in order to really help Ukraine in this situation. Um, They still are calling for more military support. Um, They need help. They need Mm -hmm. the help not just of Americans, but of the entire world. Mm -hmm. And standing in solidarity, even if it's in small ways, like sending someone a text saying that you love them, um, supporting local journalists that are trying to give people or spread information right mm-hmm. now, um, staying informed and just remembering that we're all human beings mm-hmm. trying to live through this conflict and it's not easy for any of us. Yeah. Anna Savchinka is a Pointer Coke Media and Journalism Fellow and an education reporter here at WBEZ. Anna, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Susie. We turn next to Yulian Haida. He's a Ukrainian-American freelance journalist and a former producer here at WBEZ. Welcome to Reset, Yulian. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Well, what was your reaction when you learned that Russia had begun a full-scale assault on Ukraine? You know, I was just talking to a Chicagoan not too long ago, and uh, not knowing what to say, they said it was snowing in Chicago. And for the first time in my life, I thought, well, snowflakes are sure better than rockets falling from the sky. Yeah. And while Ukraine was about 50-50 in terms of whether there'd be a war that would spread to the rest of the country, whether Russia would breach Ukraine's borders outside of the regions that have been occupied for eight years, or whether it wouldn't, I don't think anybody expected rockets to rain from the Mm -hmm. sky Mm -hmm. from a thousand miles away 
if you can imagine, Ukraine is the size of Texas. It is a big country. And Western Ukraine, where rockets fell and where bombs fell, is where Chicago is. And by comparison, where the war has been ongoing for eight years, where people thought the war would continue in the regions that President Putin recognized as independent are in New Jersey. Hmm. So anybody who's ever driven from Chicago to New York has driven the width of Ukraine. And everywhere along the way, bombs fell in the sky and civilians died wow. in many, many cities across the country. Yeah. And it's not something anybody can prepare for, no less in this day and age. Yeah. Well, Yuyun, when, when you were on the show last month, uh, you were about to head back to Ukraine where you were attending a seminary. Um, but I, but I, as I understand, you are not there. You are in London. Uh, what happened? Well, um, the the risk of war became real. Um, people who knew things that I didn't know <laughs> said, uh, "If you go, there will be consequences." Um, and as as much as I I still would like to go very much. Um, I have to also respect and understand that uh, people are trying to leave, that the country is surrounded by three sides, that it's taking days to leave through one of the Western borders. Yeah. And so I still intend to return in some capacity uh, to, to use my, my, my skills there. Um, but one can't also be be foolhardy. So right now I'm in London and I'm, I'm trying to figure out a safe way back since I was not already there uh, when the U.S. travel restrictions, mm. uh, travel warnings uh, came out in January. I was in Chicago for a couple of weeks. Um, but I have legal residence in Ukraine and, and all my friends are there. All my things are there. I mean, those are things that, you know, things, they're not mm. lives. And so that's obviously not a priority, but uh, yeah, my my school where I'm studying in a suburb of Kyiv was uh, walking distance from where a rocket took the lives of 12 civilians. Mm -hmm. um, bombs falling nearby uh, knocked cell phones from tables onto the floor in the building, and all of my classmates have evacuated. They've been driving now for probably 18 hours, maybe wow. 20 hours, and they've only gotten about 100 miles. Um, so this is not something that, I mean, people you know, had fueled their cars, or, or at least some people had. People had go bags packed. People had, had, had done their best to prepare. But not knowing which direction to go is, is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And the head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church which you'll see a lot of the churches in Ukrainian village, the dome's very distinctive. Uh, he's based in Kyiv, and he says the country is at risk of becoming an open-air death camp. They want peace. They didn't ask for this. Are, are you worried communication with your seminary peers uh, could get more difficult as these attacks continue? So Ukraine had experienced a number of cyber attacks uh, in the last 
um, several years. There's a reporter who's actually on the ground in Kiev right now for the route, Terrell Jermaine Brown. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's prolific. Um, he wrote a piece a few years ago in Mother Jones about uh, massive power outages and internet blackouts in Ukraine as being a practice run for the same Russian tactics being used on other countries, namely the U.S. And of course, we saw what happened with the colonial pipeline. So because of that experience, Ukraine has a rather um, sophisticated cybersecurity um, infrastructure. They've had time to prepare. They've had time to defend a lot of their infrastructure mm -hmm. and update it from anything that would cut off communication. And so I think we'll still keep in touch. Mind you, you know, Russian forces will also be dependent on the same roads and electrical grids as Ukrainians are. So total destruction wouldn't be in their interest mm -hmm. either. Then again, they've been acting against their own interest for, for quite some time now, and nobody can predict the future. Yeah. Well, as of last week, President Zelensky had downplayed the threat of uh, Russia attacking Ukraine. What has the president been saying now after it's happened? Most recently, he has expressed disappointment at um, how countries have supported uh, Ukraine, um, while Ukraine certainly wouldn't be able to hold out without the weapons it received, um, Ukraine is also not necessarily at the top of the list of priorities for Western countries. Uh, Vladimir Putin would like people to believe that this is a new Cold War, that this is a proxy war between East and West, but it is been the repeated position of the last several American administrations that Ukraine is not a geopolitical priority. Ukraine is suffering at the hands of one power right now who is firing the only rockets and firing the only bullets over a border. Ukraine has never colonized a country. Ukraine has never invaded another country. It is defending itself. And this is a, a power imbalance that has been in place with Russia, not for the last week, not for the last eight years, not for the last 30 years, but since Ukraine declared mm -hmm. independence for the first time over 100 years ago, despite the claims that Putin says Ukraine doesn't exist, when Ukraine has existed in some form mm -hmm. or fashion for a very, very long time. Yeah. And nobody wants there to be war with Russia. People want Ukraine to have a good relationship with Russia, but Russia just isn't letting that happen. Well, Yulian, as as we wrap up here, um, what's going through your mind as you consider when you might be able to return to Ukraine? Well, I want to underline a little bit of what Anna said before I came on, and that is we are all people. Journalists are people, and journalists try to do their best, and I don't need to tell you this, Susie, to, to, to tell the truth, mm -hmm. but we also have a position. That position is for truth. It is for free speech. And we do that in the service of, of human life. And so when you hear people such as myself or such as Anna or such as the people who are wearing helmets and in the trenches of Ukraine trying to do their best to present the truth, they're doing so because we're in a very real position where disinformation and misinformation lead directly to mass death. And so it is, I think, the position of all people who 
believe in the truth to um, defend that. And I think any marginalized person, any person who's experienced war or genocide will sympathize with that. There is fairness in, in coverage, there is accuracy in coverage, but there are, there's also humanity in, yeah. in coverage. And to not forget that when looking at Ukraine and listening to experts talk about Ukraine, <laughs> because there's only one group of people who are dying, and that is, that is really the Ukrainian people right now. Yulian Haida is a Ukrainian-American freelance journalist and a former producer here at WBEZ. Yulian, thank you for joining us, and, and we hope you stay safe. Thanks so much, Susie. It's an honor to be on.